scripture is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And this is the word of God. Hello, everyone, and uh, Happy New Year. I uh, trust that you had a good close to the year and uh, just uh, starting the year off well. I, don't, I mean, it's not obviously every year that you get to get together for Christmas on a Sunday and also for New Year's, and I think it is, it's definitely a blessing. Uh, it's definitely a joy and privilege to be together. Uh, and today, today's passage, obviously, is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and as I think about this passage today, because just, you know, I think my point today was, you know, to think about a New Year's resolution and uh, the way, a way we could really make a resolution to live a life that truly glorifies God. Um, and it's a blessing to us. So let me, let me pray for us, and we'll get into this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for 2022 and now uh, a new year in 2023. Uh, we are thankful for your sovereignty, your providence, uh, your many provisions. And we trust that in this coming year, uh, this new year, that we will continue to trust you and we could worship you, but also that we could be blessed by you and we could grow in your grace, not just as individuals or families, but also as a church. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, you know, January 1st, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Uh, and, you know, they could range from, you know, I'm going to lose you know, 10 pounds, 20 pounds this year, or, you know, I'm going to exercise more or eat better. It could be, I'm going to be a better son or daughter, better spouse, you know, better parent. Uh, it could be, I'm going to get straight A's and, you know, be a better student. I mean, you could go on and on different types of resolutions people make. Uh, typically, I think within a month or two, a lot of these resolutions don't happen anymore, right? They fail. And so maybe you're a little older, and now you say to yourself, I don't make New Year's resolutions. They never work anyway, right? So whether you're the type of person who's eager or the type of person who's kind of given up and all that, uh, why don't we talk today about, well, what is a New Year's resolution that I can make, that we can make, you know, as Christians, as a church, and this, this verse just came to mind for me. Uh, a New Year's resolution that really would be life-changing, right? Uh, to say to myself that I want my motto this year, and not just this year, but really my life motto, my life purpose to be what the Apostle Paul's purpose in life seems to be. And it's found here, one verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? What if this could be my New Year's resolution. Lord, I want to live for Christ. I want to say for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain in 2023 and beyond. That this could be my model, my purpose. Because we see Apostle Paul, and you know, when we read the book of Philippians, it's a great little book, you know, four chapters. It's actually a very encouraging book. Probably out of Paul's epistles, it might be my favorite. It's the one that I go to the most, I think, when I'm down and when I need encouragement and I want to really think about God's love and faithfulness. Uh, it's a book that I go to a lot. And in this book, you know, Paul, Paul is in prison. He is writing to the Philippians. These are people that he loves, the church that he planted, and he obviously cares for them a lot. And he can't even be with them. Why? Because currently, uh, most likely he's in Rome, he is in prison, he has to write letters because he cannot physically be with the people that he wants to be. And yet, 
even in this state, one of the main themes of Philippians is joy, right? He calls people to rejoice. He says, I am rejoicing. I want you to rejoice. The gospel is being spread. And so joy is a big theme. But think about it for a second. I have never been to prison. I hope and trust you have never been to prison either or will. But if I was in prison, I heavily doubt that I would be joyful. Right? I, I, I doubt that I would be rejoicing in that state. If I couldn't be with the ones that I love, and if I was in prison and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do, it would be difficult to rejoice. And yet, here is Paul, able to rejoice even in the worst of circumstances. Right? Later in this book, in chapter 4, he says, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, whether I'm poor or rich, right, I'm, I'm content. I found the secret of contentment. And as we look at really what I would consider Paul's mission, Paul's purpose, Paul's motto in life, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I want to think a little bit about how is it that this, this man, this apostle, can find joy, can find contentment even in the worst of circumstances and to be able to worship and praise the Lord and live for his glory. And as we think about that, really I want to look at this model here, this purpose here, and say to myself and hopefully to all of us, maybe this can be our New Year's resolution this year, that we could say we want this to be our model, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I want to break that off into a few parts and uh, really four points today. Uh, they're not long, but hopefully they're memorable. It's what does it mean for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain? It's to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to anticipate eternity with Jesus, right? So it's to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to anticipate eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, to be honest, this one verse, I think you could do multiple sermons with it. I think there's so much here. But I think, you know, for starters, I think these four points hopefully will be helpful to us. And so to start, what does it mean to say, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain? To live as Christ means to love Jesus Christ, right? To love our Lord, to love our Savior. And not just to love him, but to love him supremely. If I'm going to say, for to me, to live as Christ, that means no one else, nothing else is as important to me as Jesus. To live as Christ means that I love you, Jesus, more than anything. With all of my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind, I want to love you. I want to worship you. I want to glorify you with my body, with my mind, with my life, and I want to love you. Now, that's maybe easy to say. Maybe it's hard to say but obviously it is much, much more difficult to do. Because if, if you're a Christian, if you're here and you, you will say, I'm a child of God, I would probably assume, I would guess, that you will say to me, I love Jesus. Right? If you're a Christian, obviously you're going to say, I love Jesus. However, to love him supremely, that's talking about priority, it's different. Because yeah, I love Jesus, but I also love my kids. I love them a lot. I love my spouse, my parents, right? I love my siblings. I love, maybe you love your job. Maybe you don't, but maybe you do, right? You might say, I love my friends. They're so important to me. 
Or maybe there are certain things that you own that you love a lot. Maybe you have a pet, a dog or cat, and you really love that dog. You love that cat. You, maybe you love, maybe you just got a PS5, right? And you're so excited to play it, and you love this thing. Or maybe you have a car that you really enjoy driving, and you love that car. And so when we think about the things that we love, as a Christian, I say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. But I have all these things that are competing with Jesus. And for me to say to live as Christ would mean that, Jesus, I love you supremely more than anything else, but do I? Or are these things suffocating that love? Of Christ, where I maybe I forget that I even love Jesus. And obviously, we call it idolatry when something takes the place of Christ and I love that thing supremely. But what Paul and really what God calls us to is to say, for to me, to live as Christ means I look to Jesus and I say, I want to love you. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. I want to love you more than anything else. You know, I look at it like this. Obviously, we love things in this world, and there's nothing wrong with loving, for example, your family or certain things. They're good things to love. But there's a qualitative, or you know, there's, there's a degree of difference. So, for example, I remember when my sister had her daughters, right? I, so, you know, I have four nieces and a nephew, but obviously, my sister, when she had her daughters, you know, she was and she was younger when she had them, and so they're now, I think, eighth and tenth grade. So they, they've been around. My kids, obviously, younger. But when my nieces first, you know, were born, I didn't realize that I could love a kid that much. I never really, I mean, I like kids and try to love them, but I was always awkward with them. I didn't know what to do with them. But when my nieces were born, I remember, like, wanting to spend time with them and play with them, and I would buy them a present every time I went. It could be a $5 trinket, but I just want to buy something. At one point, one of my nieces said to me, why do you always buy us gifts? Is it because you love us? And I was like so touched. I said, like, yes, right? And so I remember thinking, I have this love for these girls that I didn't know I could love the kids that much. And then my daughter was born. I still remember the day she was born. I, like, I cried. And, you know, Harold will tell you this, you know, I don't cry much, but I did cry at our wedding during our vows, which surprised me. Um, and then when, you know, Lydia was born, I remember just, like, crying because I was like, so moved by this. And then Harold likes to point out, how come when Joey was born, you didn't cry? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe because he was the second one. But, but then when I had my kids, I realized something. I thought I loved my nieces a lot, but my love for my kids, it was just different. Right? It was just a different degree, a different level. And I remember thinking, man, like my love for my nieces, which I thought was strong, it's like nothing compared to this new love that I have for my kids where it was just so much stronger something that I had never experienced before when it came to kids, to have that kind of love. And I'm sharing this to say, we love a lot of things in life, a lot of good things, and it's good to love. But when I say for to me to live is Christ, what we're saying is, Lord, these other things that I love, they should pale in comparison to the love that I have for you. Because I think about the love that you have for me, this sinner, who you die for. When I think about Christ and the love that he has for me and the love that he has for all of his people, and when I think about the cross and his death, his resurrection, his sacrifice, and that stirs in my heart, I say, for to me to live is Christ. And that means, first and foremost to me, that I love you, Jesus. 
more than anything else. I want to love you supremely. But for to me to live as Christ also means that I want to know my Savior intimately. Right? If I love someone, if I want to say, for to me to live as Christ, and I want to know you, I want to commune with you and fellowship with you, I want to know everything about you, but I also want to know you personally and intimately. And when we think about relationships, any relationship, you know, whether it's friendship or even family, but really when we think about, for example, a romantic relationship, that when you first fall in love with someone, you just want to know everything about them. You want to know their hobbies, you want to know what kind of food they like, you want to know what kind of movies they like, what kind of books they read, you want to know who their friends are, you just want to know everything about them. But not just that, what do you also want to do? You just want to know them and have an intimate time with them, and you want to spend just quality time with them. So you want to get to know about them, but also want to get to know them and fellowship with them, and there's a certain intimacy, but also a certain desire to have more knowledge about this person that you love. And when I say for to me to live as Christ, it means, Lord, I want to know you. I want to read your word, your Bible, and I want to dig deep into the truth of Scripture, and I want to know more about you, your love, your grace, but also your commands, right? your story, my story that is in your story. I want to know about what why you created us, right? What you, why you redeemed us, what you have for us for all eternity. I want to know, but also I want to spend time with you in prayer, right? In song, in praise, you know, delving into the scriptures. I want to hear sermons and be fed. I want to do Bible study with others by myself. I want to spend time, quiet time devotionals with you. I want to just know you. And so for to me to live is Christ is, yes, I want to love you more than anything, but also I want to know you more and more and more of you. I want to be hungry for you. I remember talking to a missionary once, and, you know, he was in the 70s at this point, but he was sharing with me when he first came to know Christ. And I think he was in his 30s or 40s. You know, he actually had been an atheist till then, and he, you know, he, he met Christ. You know, he gave his life to Jesus, trusting him as Lord and Savior, and he was sharing with me how after he became a Christian, he had just this hunger for the Word of God. And he just finished his whole Bible, I think, you know, really quickly. And he would highlight every passage and just delve and delve. And he would read his Bible and he would read it again. And he, just, he said he just had so much hunger to know Christ because he was just so in love with his Savior. Because he had received so much love. A sinner like him had been saved, and he just wanted to know more and more. And obviously, in that knowing, he then desired to live his life for Christ. And it had led him, obviously, after retirement, you know, to actually go on the mission field. He went, as, you know, in, in the 60s into the mission field because he just hungered to know him more and obviously to love him and to serve him. So for to me, to live as Christ is to love him, to love Christ, to love him supremely, to know him intimately, but it also means to obey him and to serve him, to obey him completely. I remember one time, I think I was actually in seminary at the time, I heard a pastor you know, in a sermon, he asked this question. He said, what if God called you to the mission field? And like all of you, and it was just actually all a bunch of seminarians, right? It was a seminary retreat. And he said, what if God called us to go 
to the mission field together. And I think, I forget, it was some country, uh, I forget where the country was, but he said, let's go to this country, I think it was somewhere in Africa, and he said, what, what if you were to go there, and God told you that half of you would die there. The other half of you would get really, really sick. Would you go? And I was in seminary, you know, preparing to be a pastor. I remember thinking in my head, I don't know. <laughs> right? I, I don't know if that was the way you approached it. Would I, would I desire to go? And, you know, and no one's calling us to, to the mission field to die, you know, right now or anything like that. But the point that he was making, I think, was valid, was are you willing to obey Christ no matter what the cost is? He was talking to a bunch of, obviously, future pastors and he was asking this question. And the question I have for us is that a lot of times we read a word or we hear a sermon, and a lot of times we ask questions of, you know, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? You know, what kind of job should I have? Or who should I marry? And we have all these decisions. But to be honest, a lot of times we know exactly what God wants us to do. We just don't do it. And so we, we read the word, and I think we treat it as a buffet. These are the things that I like to obey. It makes sense to me. These are the things where, oh, God, you know, I know this is what you want me to do. And what do we say? Oh, I know it's what God wants me to do, but. I know it's the right thing to do, but. I know that's the biblical thing or biblical way or the godly way, but. We have a lot of buts in there. But for me to say, for to me to live is Christ. Yeah, it means to love Jesus supremely. Yeah, it means to know him, but it also means to obey him and serve him, whatever that call is. You know, I think of, in the Old Testament, Abraham. And, you know, obviously, the father in the faith, you know, man of God. But we see a story in the, in, in the book of Genesis where Abraham, you know, has a son. And it took him 100 years to get that son, right? He came very late in his life. And he loves Isaac. He loves his son. And God promises Abraham that through your son Isaac, I'm going to do great things. You know, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, right? The sand in the sea. And I'm going to bless through your offspring. And so Isaac is this promised child. And he's the love of his life. And then what does God say one day? He tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. Can you imagine as a father who had waited so long for your son and who God had made promise to you through the son to hear God say to you, I want you to give up your son? Most of us might hesitate. But when we read Genesis, right, the way it's written, it would appear that there was no hesitation that Abraham went to sacrifice the son that he loves so much. And he brings him up to the mountain, and he's actually willing even to do that. Obviously, God stops him, and obviously we know that that story really is pointing us to this greater story of our heavenly father sacrificing his son Christ for us. But we see that faith that Abraham has because he trusts in his God. He is willing to obey even to that point, even though he probably doesn't understand why. I think for us, obviously, maybe nothing like that dramatic would happen to us, but I think it's important for us to really trust in Christ, to know that he is working for our good, to know his amazing love for us, 
his provisions for us and to say, for to me to live is Christ, meaning because I trust in your goodness and your love and because I trust in your plan for my life, whatever you call me to do, I desire to do. For to me to live is Christ. I want to love you. I want to obey you. I want to know you. But then he says, to die is gain. And here, I think the fourth point I had was to anticipate eternity with Jesus, right? To anticipate eternity with Jesus. Um, There's a quote that I read about that part of the verse that I wanted to read for you. He says, uh, for Paul, this life is bound up with knowing and glorifying Christ. And this will only increase in the life to come. Thus, death is gain. The gain that Paul is talking about is the personal, personal benefit of being in the Lord's presence. If to live is to glorify and enjoy Christ, to die is to glorify and enjoy him more. Because the Apostle Paul looks for an immediate and fuller experience of all that Christ is in death. So this passage is not, you know, when Paul says to die again, he's not saying this. He's not saying my life is terrible. I don't want to live anymore. The life is hard, and so to die is gain. That, that is not what he's saying. What he is saying is that he's saying, this life that I have, I want to live it to the fullest. I want to live for Christ, for to me to live is Christ. I want to live a full life of worship, loving Christ. I want to live a full life of obedience to him and serving him. I want to know him, and I want to commune with him, and I want to live it to the fullest for his glory, an exciting life for Christ, but... One day their life is going to end here on earth. He's saying, and when it does, it's gain. It's not worse. It's actually better because as good as life on earth here was living for Christ, it's even better in the life to come in heaven because I get to experience Christ even more fully face to face with him. So here is a man who is excited in his life with this purpose of living for Jesus, loving him, obeying him, knowing him, proclaiming him all over the world, sharing about Jesus, even suffering for him. Even in that, he rejoices in all of that. But he also says, I'm anticipating eagerly spending eternity with Christ because I get to know him even more fully. I get to know his love even more fully then as well. And when you think about someone like this, can you imagine when he's proclaiming the gospel and there's, they tell him, hey, if you keep preaching about Jesus, we're going to beat you, we're going to stone you, we're going to throw you in prison. And he goes, bring it on. But to me, to live is Christ. And then they, maybe they threaten him, we're going to kill you if you keep doing these things for Jesus. And then he goes, he says, bring it on even more. Because for me, to live is Christ, but also to die is gain. He's an unstoppable person. But here's my next question is this then. Why? Why would this be Paul's motto? Why would this be his purpose or his mission in life? Why would he say for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? And it's because his life has been completely transformed by Jesus. 
If you read about Paul, he was called Saul before, right, before he became an apostle. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee who didn't like Christians. He was throwing them in jail. When Stephen, the first martyr, right, is killed, he's there. He's not partaking, but he's giving approval, washing people's clothes. He, here is a man who hated the church, who hated Christians. He was persecuting them. And yet, what does Christ do? Christ comes into his life, and he forgives, and he loves, and he transforms a sinner like Paul. And Paul is just blown away by this amazing grace that a sinner like him could be forgiven, could be loved, and could be saved. And so here is Paul, transformed life, knowing Christ's love. He's looking to the cross every day, and I think he sees Jesus. And Jesus is pretty much saying something like this. He's saying on the cross, for to me, to live is for my people. And to die is for their gain. And as he thinks about that Savior, as he gets to know more and more of that Jesus, he can't help but to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And my hope, my prayer, is that for all of us in this new year, as we look to Christ and his love, that we would also say, for to me, live as Christ, and to die as gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We read these words for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It sounds like a slogan sometimes, and maybe we've heard it way too many times in our lives, and maybe it doesn't have the power that it once had for us. But help us, Father, as we think about these words and as we think about our Savior who lived, who died, who went to the cross for even sinners like us. As we think about that amazing grace and love, we pray that we will say with the Apostle Paul, with Apostle Paul, for to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, that we will love our Savior we would want to know him and obey him, that we would anticipate eternity with him and live a life of worship unto him. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.